Thank you guys so much uh, for leading us in worship. It's so fun to gather and to sing about the resurrection together. Last July, I was standing right out here, kind of near our dumpster, and I got a phone call. And some words were said to me in that phone call that were just like a slap in the face to me. Not, not like in like necessarily like this great disrespectful way, but in this way of like, what? Really? You think that? Kind of, kind of that, that take. It was, um, it was somebody calling and asking me for help. And uh, they'd, they'd been to our church a few times, and, and I had reached out to, to this gentleman. I had, I had tried to, to, to meet with him and minister to his needs. And um, I, I was overwhelmed. Uh, it was the first day of our challenger camp. That's our kids' camp in the summer. And so just within a few minutes, we were going to start having like 100 kids and their parents show up at church. Um, Buddy was out of town. Um, Logan had just started on our staff. Brandon wasn't on our staff yet. We had a mission team here. I don't know if I said that already. There's like 24 students here. My hands were just full. And he was asking me to do what I just didn't feel like I could, could do. He was actually asking me for $3,000. Um, and he'd, to fix his car. Now, he'd already told me his car was worth $800, and so I'm like, I'm like that don't work. Can't, we can't do that. Like, I can't steward the church's money, just give you $3,000. He wanted it Venmoed, and uh, I don't even have Venmo, and uh, the church surely doesn't have Venmo. We, we can't, by the way. We can't have Venmo. Um, and so he's asking for money, and I want to help him. And he's in Brighton, staying at a hotel, and I'm like, how can I get down there to help him. What, what can I do? I'm trying to figure out what to do. And in it, I just have to say, listen, man, I can't, I can't make it to you right now. I can't get down there in the next several hours. And he just is what he says to me. He says, well, that's not very Christian of you. And that, that just that hurt. It was like a smack in the face. Like, that's not very Christian of you. I was trying to figure it out. Like, in this moment, I'm conflicted. Because i got this burden, and I want to help him. Like, I'm trying to think, how do I really help this guy? Sometimes what people are asking for isn't really the help they need, right? There, there's a different kind of, of need, and I promise you, I, we could have given him $3,000, and his problems would not have been fixed. They would not even been anywhere near fixed. And so I'm trying to fi- figure out how, how really to help him. And he ends up getting mad at, mad at me, and he hangs up the phone and then gives us a one-star review on Google. Um, <laughs> and so... I'm, I'm conflicted, right? Like, what, what does that mean that's not very Christian of you? What was, like, the Christian response? Like, did I have a responsibility to all the kids coming and our staff or our camp and the, the mission team and the other things that were going on? Or should I have just dropped what I was doing and going? And I wrestled with it. And so those words, that's just not very Christian of you. It's not like I'd never heard that said before. I just don't think I'd ever had it said to me. Might have even said them. But they just began to stick out to me. And so a little, uh, a little bit later, as when the mask mandate happened last year, I saw like online kind of bickering and fighting. And somehow it became like there's this place of like, you're, it's Christian if you do this, or if it's Christian, you don't. And you just kind of saw like, that's not very Christian of you. 
And then about three or four weeks ago, I saw this again. I saw uh, a friend from high school talking about another person, and she just goes on ranting. This person is a, a secretary at a church, and she's ranting about the church, and she's ranting about the person, and she's saying, that's just not very Christian of her. And so what do you think I thought when I read that? Well, that's not Christian of you. Like to rant on Facebook, this doesn't seem, like ranting on Facebook doesn't seem Christian. And everybody said, amen, and I repent. All right, I'm just kidding. Right, so I've kind of wrestled with this. And I think we do wrestle with what, what does it mean to be a Christian? Most of us have ideas about how Christians ought to behave or act. Now, I think that's probably true today if you're like drug here and you think all of this is, is, is rubbish and it's not true. You, you've got an idea about how Christians act or should act or don't act or what they are. But I think for, for the Christian in the room, you also probably have like this, this notion, this idea of how a Christian ought to act. The things Christians must do. What are the characteristics that define a Christian? And so here's the question I think everybody in the room, no matter what you believe, needs to ask yourself today. Is where I get this idea from, this behavioral ethic, where does it come from? Is it my lived experience? Some of you may have been raised in a home where your parents professed Christ. And they drug you to church. And they wanted to make sure when you got to church, you looked a certain way and you acted a certain way. But when you went home and the door shut, what happened behind those doors was anything but something that you would find in the Bible. Right? You may have, you may have seen this example of, hey, this is what Christianity is supposed to look like. But that's only the outside and really what you felt was like hypocrisy. And you've seen on the inside, like, well, these two things don't match. And I think it's a lot of people today who are, who are leaving the church or uh, using the word deconstructing. They're, they're taking what they've seen man practice as Christianity and they're, they're running from that. Uh, others of us may have had a different experience. You may have, have been drugged to church and seen your parents and they, they practiced what they preached. They lived out the faith that they claimed. Maybe it's from a bad experience with somebody who cussed you out, but yet claims to be Christian. So is it coming from a, a lived experience? Is it coming from the teaching of the parents, the teaching of the church in which you grew up in? Is it, is it culture? Is it the, being in a Christian culture or part of the, uh, the, a lost culture like we live in that is very, um, ha has a hatred towards Christianity? If, if, if what you got about Christianity was from the culture, is that it? Or I think what we all need to ask ourselves, where does that come from? Or is it coming from the Bible? Now, I'm going I'm to make the case today that for us, when we think of how a Christian should live their life, that we should receive those instructions from the Bible. And the Bible should inform our view of Christian living. And so today, as we open up our Bibles to Romans 5, we're going to be starting a new sermon series in Romans chapter 6, but I'm going to back up into 5 just a little bit today. Here's the big truth that I want us to pull away from the Scriptures. Here's what I want to see in light of what the Bible teaches us. This truth. When we meet the risen Lord Jesus, it transforms us to live a new way of life. 
When we meet the risen Lord Jesus, when you meet the risen Lord Jesus, it's going to transform your life so that you live in a new way of life. A few weeks ago, in a sermon, I I used an example of two ditches. And there there are ditches on, on both sides of the road. And we see in the Bible that wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to the kingdom of heaven. Remember last week, I, a few weeks ago rather, I said there's ditches on both sides of the road. And as I studied this text, as I studied for this sermon, I quickly saw two ditches yet again. Two, two uh, very easy errors to make, but these two errors are very strongly related. And so the first ditch that I think we often fall into when we are thinking about this is gnomism. Now, You've probably heard gnomism called legalism. And that's really probably the better name because it's a self-explanatory name. Legalism or gnomism is the direct or indirect attachment of behaviors, disciplines, and practices to the belief in order to achieve salvation and right standing before God. And so legalism attaches these behaviors into right standing. It, It literally works out to us trying to earn God's favor. Happens in different ways. But legalism is like you, you have to do these certain things, act these certain ways, dress these certain ways, and obey these certain commands. That's how you earn favor with God. Now, um, I'll tell you, when we are born, we are born with sinful little natures. And we are born with legalistic hearts. Like our pre-programming comes with legalism. Um, it's why, for, it's why for, for, for everybody, it's really easier to see the speck in somebody else's eye than the log in our own eye, isn't it? It's easy for us to go, well, look at all the things I do and look at them, right? And with somebody else as your standard, you, you can find somebody who's worse than you, I promise. Um, so our, our hearts are kind of already program that way. But there's, there's really a reason that over and over our, our hearts get put in this place of legalism. I'll give, I'll give you an example. If you go to work tomorrow morning and you're like, you know what? I don't need to earn favor with my employer. I don't need to do what my employer says. I don't necessarily have to uh, uh, obey or be obedient to my employer. I can just do what I want. How do you think that's going to go for you? Right? That's not going to go well. Some of you people who are like self-employed and you're your own boss, you, like there's your win. All right, there's your win for the week. You, you, you cornered me. Um, your, your, your clients would say otherwise. We're used to living in an environment where we earn favor, where we earn uh, the things that we, we earn bonuses, right? We, uh, our, our kids, man, they got, they got Easter candy yesterday. They got Easter candy today. They realize like if I misbehave, I'm going to lose that Easter candy. And there's still Reese's Cups in that basket. And I like, you know, once, the, once it's like down to like Twizzlers and some of the, all the stuff that begins to taste the same, it's whatever, I'll start disobeying. But as long as the Reese's Cups are still in there, I'm going to behave, right? That, that is earning favor, earn, that's keeping ourselves from punishment. Our hearts often are, are bent to that ditch. But I want you to understand that legalism, that this attaching these behaviors and disciplines and practices uh, in order to, to, to have salvation and keep a right standing with God, it is anti-gospel. And it totally misses why the gospel is literally called good news. The gospel is good news. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 
Um, we're going to start in verse 18, but I'm going to back up a little farther to 8 real quick and just quote 8 to you. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news of the gospel. Christ didn't die for good people. There was none righteous, not even one, the scriptures say. Christ died for sinners like you and I, and it's a good thing. It's not my, my earning favor that Christ laid down his life for a friend. No, Christ laid down his life for, for rebellion and, and sin and, and hate of him. He, he, he laid down his life for that. that that's the gospel. The, the, the good news of the gospel is that, that we didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to earn God's salvation that he did it for us anyway. So let's start reading in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And so the one act uh, that the condemnation, the trespass started in Adam, uh, it continues with us. The act of righteousness, that's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this is the beauty of the gospel, and this is what the law does for us. When you hold the Ten Commandments up, we can hold up our life against somebody else's life, and we can say, oh, we're better than them. But you hold up to your, your life to Jesus, and you look at the Ten Commandments, and he never broke them. You hold your life up to the Ten Commandments, and you see that you've broken them, and that you break them all the time. And so the law came to increase the trespass. It shows us the trespass. It shows us that we need a Savior. So, But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. That, that as sin increased, grace abounds. So here's my next big idea. Here's my first big idea. It's this, that Christians do not earn their salvation by their good behavior or good works. You don't, you don't earn salvation in Christ by, by how you live. If, 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 if someone looks at you and says, that's not very Christian of you, you just say, you're right. I'm not Christ. Christ earned your salvation. Salvation is the work of Jesus by which he defeated sin and death. And it's received by us, by grace, through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 says, it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one would boast. This, it, this, is, this is a gift. So salvation is received by grace through faith for those who believe in him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, that he will save you. Salvation is not earned. It is God's unmerited favor, literally what grace means. It's God unrolling his unmerited favor. 
So, the first ditch is that of legalism. We must earn our favor. We must do these things. The second ditch is what we call antinomianism. Antinomianism is this. It's, it's, it's not exactly the opposite of nomism, but it's antinomianism. Um, one does not have to keep the behaviors. One does not have to practice the disciplines. One doesn't have to live in such a way that they have right standing with God because of the grace of God. Because there's grace for our sin. Therefore, our um, attitudes, our actions, our behaviors, the things that we do don't matter because God's grace covers them. And so, how this often works its way out really is an abuse of grace. Imagine for a second that a husband recognizes the fact that he has a gracious wife and that she just loves him and adores him and and shows him truly unmerited favor, favor that he did not earn from her. And so imagine for, for a second that that husband, realizing that his wife is gracious, decides, you know what? I think I'll cheat. I think I'll cheat on my wife. You know what? I think I'll steal money from our family, and I will go and I'll gamble that away. And you know, I know she needs me, but if I don't, if I don't come home and I go on a, a, a go on a ripper and stay four drunk four or five days, it's okay. She'll just forgive me. If I beat her, it's okay. She's gracious. That do you do you agree with me that that would be an abuse of grace, an abuse of your wife, right? By all means, right? So. For me, as I experienced this kind of abuse of grace, I didn't know it was called antinomianism as I experienced it, but I grew up in a church that, that in some ways taught this. Now, this is what happened. My pastor, growing up, grew up in a very legalistic environment. I was told over and over and over, you're losing your salvation, and it just made it about these works, and so he ran over to this other ditch and jumped in this other ditch of antinomianism. So here's how it played out in my life. Oh, Farmer John, you know Farmer John, and you'd see how Farmer John lived his life, and Farmer John never, never do anything Christian and never even necessarily claim to be Christian, and You'd see his ethic and how he would treat other people. and It was very clear that Farmer John was just all about Farmer John. And, and you'd see his life and the rebellion of his life. And I mean, the truth is, I don't know that I ever saw Farmer John sober. Right? I don't know that I ever saw him not angry. And then Farmer John would die and you'd go to Farmer John's funeral. And at Farmer John's funeral, they'd sit there and they'd talk about how Farmer John was in heaven. And you got a scratch in your head and you'd hear him say when he was younger... He was a kid at a vacation Bible school in this church. He um, closed his eyes and he said a prayer. He raised his hand. He walked down the aisle and was baptized and he became a believer. And so what you saw is that, okay, he said he placed his faith and trust in Christ and there's grace over his life, but how he lived his life did not matter. And you, 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 you see it. You see it play out over and over and over. I see it, and I see the, the effects of this being taught. I see it in my, my own family back home. Like, I see kind of this idea that our actions don't matter, that it doesn't matter if that's very Christian of you, because I've got grace. But here's what happened. In a place of desperation, a 
place of brokenness, I picked up the Bible and I started reading the Bible for myself. And I discovered what many of you discovered. Is that when we come face to face with Jesus and we meet Jesus. There's a new way of life. There's a new way of life that we can see in Scripture. That when we follow the commands of Christ and we make Jesus Lord of our life, it changes our life. Let's keep reading. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And so here's the next big idea. That when you believe in the Lord Jesus, you die to your old way of living and are raised to live in a new way of life. And that's what we saw today in this baptism. When we see this picture that you are buried with Jesus. And that when you come up from that water, it's, it's, listen, it's purely symbolic. But I want to tell you something. I've seen it. When somebody is obedient in their faith, you watch their life change at the moment of baptism so very often. You, you watch this boldness come as they live out their new way of life. It's what God calls us to do. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says in another way, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we see what, what this, this describes, that we died to ourselves. That when you're calling out Jesus as Lord, you're saying, I'm no longer Lord of my life. I'm no longer king of my life. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus and and his commands and his scripture and the ethic that he tells me I should have. I'm going to live out the, the scriptures as Jesus taught them. So I've been crucified with Christ. When Jesus said, man, those who would follow me would take up their cross and follow me daily. This is what he's meaning. The cross is meaning, I am dying to myself. I'm I'm putting myself to to death. The old man is going to die. The new man is going to come. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, skimming this today, we're going to continue, we're going to dive in in the coming weeks, and we're really going to take apart this text. But but here's what, if I could just like, in in a very cheesy way, boil down what's happening here. It's a new you, right? Don't you hate it when people say that? Like, new year, new me, you know, it's like they're putting this up, you know, it's like kind of can get cheesy. But no, like literally, it's a new you. When you come to faith in Christ, the, the old is dying, you're crucifying the ways of the world. I mean, think Ephesians chapter 2, I was dead in the trespasses of my sins and in the former ways of which I once walked, but now I'm alive in Christ Jesus. It's, it, it's, a, it's a death, it's a, it's a new you. One of my mentors and really heroes in the faith was a lady named Kathy Casey. And I loved Kathy Casey as I love my own mother. And she just, to me, and the life that she lived in front of me and my wife and our boys, 
um, she just exemplified what it would, would be. Like, if, if you had the idea of, like, that's very Christian of you, that, it's Kathy Casey. Like, her life was just, just the model of what I think Christ's earthly ministry would have looked like. I mean, she literally gave her life to being obedient to Christ and being in the hands and feet of Jesus. Kathy died in uh, December of 2019. Uh, she lost her battle to cancer. She had fought cancer three times before she died. But before that, I, I mean, watched her in her death just die so graciously and so lovingly. I mean, she would be sick from chemotherapy and a nurse would walk in and she would care more about the nurse than the nurse would care for her. I mean, that's just who she was. And I just watched all those years uh, of living life and them very much being like a part of our family I just watched how she lived, and it was just beautiful. It was a beautiful example. Like, I wanted to be like her when I grew up. Well, Kathy was like in her rebellious years, like the sow your wild oats kind of years in the 70s. Now, I wasn't born in the 70s, but I hear the 70s were like a riot, right? That They were just crazy. And uh, I look at back, Ray, you're smiling back there. <laughs> Ray, why are you smiling? We need to talk later. Uh, no, Ray's already told me. Uh, the, you know, the 70s, the 70s, like, you know, that's where she was. And so some of the stuff in which that her sisters, by the way, this isn't like sin that Kathy ever bragged about, but her sisters love to kind of throw it out there. Like, she was wild. She was wild. She was in all sorts of sin. And I saw the way that she lived her life, and I just couldn't even imagine it. I, I, I couldn't imagine this, this sweet, godly lady acting the way that her sisters said that she acted. And I wouldn't even believe her sisters if Kathy wouldn't have said herself, it's true. And so what happened? What happened? What changed the way that she lived her life? What, what transformed her life? It's simple. She met Jesus. She placed her faith in the Lord Jesus, and she said, I'm no longer Lord. I'm dying to myself. I'm, I'm making you Lord of my life. And the Lord transformed her life. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, you die to your old way of living and are raised to live a new way of life. Now, I just want to, just for a second, I realize as you're saying this, go back to what I talked about. Like you're, You've got like this pre-programmed idea of what it means to be Christian or Christ-like. We have to scale that off, and we've got to make sure what we're what we're we're acknowledging as Christ-like comes from the Scriptures. Verse five: For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so here's my next big idea. Jesus' resurrection changes everything, including you. 
When we meet Jesus, we meet the God-man. The God of the universe who spoke all things into being. The God born of the Virgin Mary, born to human parents, born as a baby. The God who took on human flesh, who was the Word in the flesh. Speaking the truth, long spoken by the prophets of old, Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah. The God who lived a sinless life, who as a boy in the temple honored his earthly parents and obeyed his heavenly father. The God-man who faced every temptation. Every temptation thrown up by Satan. Satan's, here is the world, take it, just confess Confess, give me the power, and he didn't. He endured mockings and beatings. He felt the pangs of hunger, and all without sin. The God who gathered a motley crew of fishermen, tax collectors, and unlikely women, calling them friends. Bidding them to to come and die that they might truly live. This this God-man, the God-man who made the lame to walk, who caused the blind to see, that called the dead alive again, and called the outcast his friend. The God-man who called to the woman at the well, offering her water that quenches all thirst, and her life was made new. The God-man who called to Lazarus, come out! And he lived again, his new life pointing to the eternity promised to all those who believe. The God who called to the fishermen, Peter, James, and John, follow me. And he gave them a new way of life. Who called to Zacchaeus, come down. And from his tree, he came down and he and his entire household were transformed into a new way of living. Who called Matthew, the tax collector, And Matthew, who is rich, follow Jesus just to be poor. A new way of life. I want you to think for a second of everybody. When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see them encounter Jesus. Those who believed in him, their lives were radically changed. They were changed by the power of the gospel. They were powered by Jesus. But I want you to think just for a second about everybody post-resurrection. We read Matthew 28, verse 6. I'm going to continue a little farther. 6 says, He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You see the response of of the resurrection for, for those two ladies was that of worship. And they ran and they told the other disciples. And what did the disciples do but worship? The response to meeting Jesus is worship. But when you continue in the book of Acts and you read the book of Acts, what happens? You see the transformation of the life of those men. You see them become these once cowards, scared, these 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 fishermen's 
uh, huddled up in, in, that, in that room, the upper room, after uh, the crucifixion, scared, you see them become bold. You see them become brave and courageous, willing to lay down their life for this message. When, when you come face to face with a resurrected Jesus Christ, it changes things. This God-man who called Peter, James, and John to believe in him today is calling you to believe in him, to follow him, and to worship him. He's calling you to follow him and dying to self. Follow him by taking up your cross. Follow him into the tomb by baptism. It's an it's immediate thing that we see in the Bible that, that, that when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you come forward and say, I want to be baptized. I'm saying my life is following Christ. You follow him by living a new way of life. You follow him by being like him. The resurrection changes everything, and today it can change you. I'm by no means telling you today that you can believe in the Lord Jesus and never sin again. Oh no, that's the good news of the gospel. Is that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. That our lives will be marred and broken by sin. But what I'm going to tell you is that you can live a resurrected life in following Jesus. It's what, it's what we're going to go into in the coming weeks. Listen to me. The resurrection changes everything. And today, it can change you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said this. He said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are two types of people in this room today. The first is the person who is unreconciled to God. In rebellion to God, maybe in disbelief. That at this moment, you are being held accountable for your actions and your sin. But you can be reconciled to God today. The Bible tells us so. The Bible says that you can have reconciliation with God this morning. That you can, the command of Christ is to repent to turn from your sin and, and run to Jesus, repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in, in Jesus. Confess today with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God. That means that you're saying, I'm no longer Lord. You're calling him Lord and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, that this resurrection is real. And it says you'll be saved. That means you'll be reconciled to God and God will no longer look on you and see your sin, but he will look on you and see Christ's death and atonement for your sin. And so today, I, I would just tell you, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, and in a few minutes when we sing, 
cry out to God in prayer and say, Father, I believe. I believe in your resurrection today, and I am making you Lord of my life. I'm following you with my life today. Be reconciled to God, and then make the next step, and that's obedience in baptism. Make today to say, I, I'm, go, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be baptized. You can come find me. You can find Logan. You can find Brandon. You can talk to us after service. There's also a card there in that seat back pocket in front of you, and you can fill that out today, and you can indicate on there that I want to talk about salvation and baptism. I want to follow Christ. I want to be reconciled to God. There's a second kind of person in the room, and that is the person who's reconciled. Christ Jesus has reconciled you to the Father. And so he's given you, he's given you a job, and that is to reconcile the rest of the world unto the Father. That's to reconcile others to yourself, to live in such a way that people don't look at you and go, that's not very Christian. That they look at you and they go, I want to know as Christ. Man, he, he may, I remember what he was like before. He followed Christ, and now I... I want to follow Christ. Live in such a way that you live a reconciled life, reconciled to Christ and reconciling others unto himself. If that's you today, and maybe, maybe you don't have a church home, part of living a reconciled life is living a life with a body of Christ, with, with fellow believers. We invite you to join this church home. We invite you uh, to be a part about, uh, of it. You, you can show us on that card. Uh, you can talk to us about service or about membership and what that would look like for you uh, to be a part of that body. But by all means today, here's the challenge. is to leave here today and to live in a new way of life in Christ Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. That it's true. Lord, we thank you for the gospel and that it's good news. It's truly good news. That it's the best news ever. That Jesus, being perfect and holy without sin, went to the cross and died a death of crucifixion for us, taking uh, the sins of the world, paying the price for the sins of the world, being buried and raised on the third day. God, we celebrate the truth of the resurrection. Lord, I pray today that you would reveal that to hearts in the room, that you would draw people unto yourself, that today people would place their faith and trust in you and be saved. And for those in the room who confess you as Christ God, that we would live in a new way of life. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.